Welcome, everybody, and welcome to our podcast today. Today, we have Hugh Ballou, who's got a company named Cinevision Leadership Foundation, which is an interesting dynamic in the first place. We'll talk about what Cinevision is, and we'll also talk about why it's a foundation, because most people, when they hear business, they think LLC or Inc. or something like that. Uh, so first of all, welcome to the, to the podcast, and thank you for taking the time. Thank you, Rod, for having me. So, Hugh, I understand that your background, where you started, was as a music minister at a church, which is not the normal position to start for leadership training. So can you kind of walk us through how you got from there to here? Okay. Um, well, people think that a conductor is a dictator. And, you know, you got this little white stick and you got a bunch of union players there um, or a bunch of volunteers in a car. You can't make anybody do anything but you can influence people. So leaders are influencers. You have a power position, but the, the real leaders use their personal influence to, um, to communicate, to, to empower and inspire people. So in front of a music group, they're going to sing the notes, but then it's up to the leader to raise the performance. So that's the team culture. They either can do mediocre singing the notes and make it boring or they can really get involved. So our job as leaders is to unlock their potential and to connect people with their passion. And so I served churches for 40 years as music director from 120 members up to 12,000 members. And when I left this 12,000 member church where I had 750 people in music ministry and, and a lot of CEOs from corporations in the congregation, and, you know, some of them weren't exactly leaders. They were politicians. So they admired me because I could get things done. But when I left that position, I determined that my job as director of music was 10%, 10, 10 music, 90%, all those things that made music possible. So the Baloo 1090 rule is what you do, what you offer, your service, your product, that's 10% of your enterprise. 90% is the structure and leaders make things happen. Nothing happens without leadership. And that's one of the, the topics that we talk about a lot when we're talking about succession in families, in families, you know, for multiple generations. A lot of times, they people go right to family governance and things like that. They forget about making that leadership, you know, training the leadership and effective transfer of leadership. If you don't have a leader, it doesn't matter what your structure is. It doesn't matter. Now, that having said that, you know, when I step on the podium to direct a rehearsal, we got to have the structure, got to have right. the culture people understand, but you got to have that piece of music, which is our strategy. Now, the real power of the leader is integrating the strategy into performance. That's where 90% of the problems are. Taking what's written down. Now, there are a lot of leaders that don't write things down. So not having things written is a mistake because there's no roadmap and you make things up and that, that creates a lot more conflict. So leaders create sometimes more conflict than they realize. So having the written plan, then being having the skill and the team to then integrate that plan into performance. That's where the rubber hits the road, as it said. Well, and and not having it written down means you're into the telephone game when you're trying to pass it from one generation or one person to the next person. It's the difference in a dream and a goal. You dream it and it changes every day. Goals written down, there's an accountability. But with that accountability, there's some energy because people know what they're supposed to do. And if you have peers or advisors, they know how they can assist you because they know where you're 
going to end up because you've said it. Right. And and part of this now, let's. There's a couple of things that I'd like to talk about while we got here. One is strategic planning, because people think about strategic planning as it's as it's a static event. Sometimes it's like <laughs> I have my plan. I've got my plan. I'm you know, I'm done. Uh, so talk a little bit about strategic planning and uh, how it relates. Well, there's there's a number of documents that come out of planning. Strategic planning is creating the roadmap. And in the, the nonprofit context, the doers and the planners are the same. Now, you're the leader. You hold the vision. You say, here's where we're going. Here's the vision. You run it down. Everybody looks at it. They come back up with, okay, affirmations of your vision. Then you do the how-tos with the team. So if the board creates the strategy with you, they are engaged, they have a buy-in, and in the process, they create some peer-to-peer accountabilities. So you take yourself out of being the daddy or the mother, they, they, they're they going to help each other. And it's not an adversarial thing, it's, it's a collaborative sense. So doing the process together builds the relationship, builds the trust, builds the understanding. It doesn't take things out of your, your area of influence. It actually amplifies what you do because you work through other people. Go back to the conductor conductor analogy. I'm in front of a 100-piece orchestra and 200 singers. I don't sing any notes. Right? <laughs> I give them the downbeat. They sing the notes. So I create the space for people to function. So we as leaders create the space for people, and we encourage higher and higher functioning. And the synergy, that's the root of the center vision, it's the synergy through that vision, the common vision. So people actually develop that synergy. It's like ensemble and music. So I, I trademark center vision, and I have it's a family brand. Center vision Leadership Foundation is our 501c3. Center vision International is my business to business. And center vision publishing, publish a magazine, a bunch of books, a whole lot of online courses. So it's that synergy that we know as musicians, or maybe if you're an actor of the ensemble on stage, it's that synergy that you comes through the practice and the very intentional work on that that program that we've defined. And having the strategic plan, not just said, like you said earlier, written, is kind of important. Well, and look, let me tag on what you said when you introduced that. So there, there's three documents here. So we have an executive summary comes out of the strategic plan when you first want to make a very summary proposal for a funder or, or something, use a one-page summary overview, an executive summary. Then there's a business plan, which you extract from the, from the uh, we call it a solution map in, in Center Vision because it's uh, it's unique for nonprofits. It's where you want to be and how you're going to get there, basically. So the business plan is a financial document. You give it to funders, you give it to your banker. They don't do anything with it. They use it for a reference, and you certainly don't run a business off of it. So you take that and you amplify it with the, the to-dos, which are your action plans, your goals, your objectives, your action plans, and your marketing plan. That's your strategic plan. It's an organic document. You plan out, say, five years, which is about as much as we can do in today's fast change. <laughs> and if you, if you, you know what I hear often? Oh, we have a plan. It's time for a new one. Wait a minute. You've got a five-year plan. Every six months or whatever you decide, you review it, you revise it, you update it, then you migrate it, recommit to the new one. So you've always got a five-year plan, and it's an organic operational document. Yeah, I can't imagine. You know, five years ago, we didn't even do Zoom, right? (laughs) 
<laughs> Zoom was when you, you stepped on the gas, right? And and, yeah. and so you look at this; it's just amazing how quickly things are changing. And yeah, five years five year plan is pretty aspirational at this point. Then uh, one of the other pieces that goes with this, and it goes with it when we're talking about families too, is well, we we've talked to, uh, earlier off offline here about Bowen Family Systems. There's things going on underneath that people need to recognize or at least be aware of if they're going to be working in, in these kinds of settings. And it's for ourselves, reason I have two coaches and reason I'm a coach is they're what we call blind spots. Mm -hmm. We just can't see for ourselves. And one of those things is we really can't do our own strategy. I do this for a living, but I have other people do my strategy with me because I've got these blind spots. But we're also blind to what's going on around us. And so 13 years ago, I spent a long time studying Bowen family systems. Murray Bowen was a psychiatrist doing family therapy, started seeing these trends and looked at it. So what he developed was the antithesis of, say, Freud doing psychoanalysis. We don't talk about problems and try to fix them. All we do is create new relationships and we are aware of ourselves. So there's a saying in the orchestra, if the orchestra respects the conductor, they play as the conductor intends. If they do not, they play just as you direct. And you can't direct all the nuances and you can't lead your team with the nuances. You can be very clear about your intent. You can build good relationships because when I'm on the podium, if I don't have a good relationship, the orchestra or the choir can make me look really bad in concert. And that's happened a lot. Right. And, in, and in the military, if your platoon doesn't respect you, you might get shot in the back. So we want to make sure that we've built the relationship. And Bowen Systems has helped me see things that were previously invisible. And so he has these eight concepts of leadership. And as I unpacked them and read the books and worked with a coach, it really um, made my leadership more effective because there were things that to me were invisible before. And those were the very things that were limiting my success. And, and one of the keys to this is understanding that this is not a static thing. I mean, once you recognize them, you know, by, I, I told one guy, once you recognize it, that's probably, too, you know, it's already changed. So, you know, you need to make sure that you don't, I well, we talk about the triangles and bone system and things like that. Uh, you don't just recognize and say, okay, that's it. That's the way it is. No. No. And there's no prescriptives. And right. there's no good or bad. And then, you know, so we have to learn for ourselves and experience life for ourselves. And there's no dualistic good or bad. You know, it's it's really embracing the fullness of life and the fullness of who we are. So I can go learn about myself without having to blame myself for all those things. You know, I call them mistakes before, but now I call them learning opportunities. All those things that may, I can say I'm an expert now at 76 because I've made all the mistakes. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> learn from those. <laughs> well, and go, going to learning, we we uh, if you've ever been to any of our training, we use evaluations, and we're really heavy on that. And Lori Coonan, who's our chief learning officer, will talk. You know, we need these evaluations because we change, and we change constantly because of the things we learn from the people in in the classes right, or that are doing it. And that's a real key, isn't it? That the people who are leaders, they need to be continually learning. It, it's there's no plateau, and the most dangerous leaders that I run across are the ones who say, "Oh, I don't need leadership. I read the book." You know, they're so uh, unaware. 
of the fact that no, there's more to learn. So my my immediate response was when people say, "Oh, I've learned everything about leadership." I I want to ask them, and you've also found the end of the internet. Right? <laughs> no more to find. So it's it's like I watched a movie, and these people were going through this mirror house at a carnival, and you go here and you go here, but you keep discovering new pathways. Mm-hmm. And it's like being in a mansion, and you open a new room. Oh, wow, there's cool stuff here. And you open another room, there's cool stuff here. And and so I've learned more in my 75th year last year than I did in my fo- whole first part of my life because I knew what to learn. And I could pay attention better, and I'm focusing better. So, you know, there is so much more to learn. And when you when you do your strategy, typically you do a multi-phase development plan. So you, you get the fund, fundamental strategy, and then phase one is to get everything in order, get everything functioning, get everything humming. Phase two is to make it sustainable. Regular recurring revenue, succession plan with your board, you know, every three years you get, you know, person lasts three years, but every year you rotate some of them, you know, some of those systems in place. And then phase three is a legacy because I'm not going to be here forever. Center vision is a legacy and people will continue learning what I've started on my behalf, but we don't really plan ahead for succession because I, th- I guess we think... We think that we're going to be here. We're invincible, but really, we should do that all the time because we don't we don't really know what's ahead. So, building for the future is part of your strategy. And succession planning, we we talk a lot about that in in you know what we're doing with families and with family businesses. And with family businesses, you got double of it. I mean, right? You've got you've got to have for a family business to successfully transition from one generation to the next, you have to have a successful transition of the business. And a successful transition of the family, and and you really want to de- treat those separately, right? We we get all mixed up with the dynamics of the family and the business, so it's really good to be aware of the family dynamics. That's where I've learned so much with Boeing, and then you want to set up the the standard business procedures, regardless of family in the business. And if you do the work together, it builds the different relationship. We have the relationship as family. But if we actively create the strategy for the business or the nonprofit or the church, whatever, for that enterprise, we create that strategy, even if we already had one, we're going to come to the table, look at the future, and look at all those fine things we need to do. The heavy lifting is up front. Once you get in place, it's so much easier to run it. And if you can avoid some of these pitfalls, you just avoid a whole lot of heartache. And that we do have a lot of problems with family businesses because we haven't really figured out what's different about the two and how those two function together. So there's a lot of lot of nuances to that that most people don't realize until they get into trouble. Yeah, and you know when we did I did my research way back when in the 90s and we identified that the families who were successful multi-generationally one of the elements, one of the attributes that they had was they kept their family business and the family separate. And the ones that don't don't. I mean that, that it just it, it creates all these problems. I, I loved uh, Tom Fowler, who's a good friend, and uh, he's a financial advisor in, up in uh, Bellevue. He did a session one time on the, the non-economic issues of dealing with family businesses. And he started up, got, he just stood up on the podium, and everybody got really quiet, and he goes, I fired my daughter today, then her father fired me, then his wife fired him, then her mom fired her. Going to be kind of quiet at Thanksgiving this year. You know, and it's <laughs> and it's really true when you when you have that mix of the family and the business, and you try and hold a meeting, 
you know, if you're not in the business, you don't feel like you've got in, any say. And, uh, you know, so you, keeping the family and the business separate, like, like you said, it's, it's vital to, to long term. Go back to some of the Bowen teachings that where he talks about his guiding principles. You define how you're going to make decisions together. It works for family. It works for your enterprise, too. And we don't do that. We don't set up expectations along performance expectations for every person in the, in the organization. So in the business, that's really critical. It's less formal in the family. But you're drawn up. And sometimes we feel entitled because we're a family member. Right. Got to, I got to clear that piece up. You're getting paid money. Here's what you're going to produce. Your expectations for you. Those are written down. They're quantifiable. And they're timed. And it doesn't matter. And we have this kind of heartburn with people who aren't family, but we don't have to see them again. But family, like you said, you're going to have a quiet Thanksgiving if you don't have this. And we think we're being mean. So having the guiding principles, the, the core of Boeing Systems is differentiation of self. Having guiding principles, and we, we make decisions by principles, not winging it because, oh, we want to please somebody. Because if we do that, ultimately, we don't please them, and we actually upset more other people because we've done that preference. So having the performance expectations that are measurable, has all this, and, and then also having the culture defined, which I do through guiding principles. It's not just the core values. You take the core values, and you make them into a understandable sentence that people can use to make a decision. And we arrive at those together, just like your strategy. We, as a team, we come together and we work on consensus, which is a very little understood principle. So consensus builds relationships. So building the guiding principles, having performance expectations, you can really um, lower, you can't eliminate you can't uh, eliminate conflict. Conflict is really a sign of energy. You want to manage it and make it less volatile if you can. Yeah, and you know, having the measurement—that's one of the other things you mentioned there. When we talk about desired outcomes with our clients, it isn't just a hope, dream, or whatever. It's what is the outcome that you want, and how are we going to know we got there? How are we going to measure success? If you don't have that measurement for success, it's really hard. To, to see your progress, to you know, see what you're doing. I'm glad to be on your show today because you and I align on just about every leadership issue and the work that you've been doing is brilliant and more people need to know about it. I, you know, I really appreciate that. And this, this has been a lot of fun in, in working with this and, and understanding the differences between family and business and how, how it all works together. But the principles are the same. They're just in different settings. Would you agree with that? Yeah. yeah. So we take the assumptions out of it. Right. Remember the, the Benny Hinn cart, um, show where he took assume and he put two lines down right. there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, just, it replays out badly if you make assumptions and you don't really clarify expectations. Right. And and measurements. You know, you don't you don't have to. We are, we also have that's one of the things that we train everybody on is the expectations conversation. So if we're going to work together, what can I reasonably expect from you? What can you reasonably expect from me? And how are we going to deal with it when one of us blows it? Because we are. I've, it's going to be over time. Somebody's going to blow it. If that's you have that up point. front. That's a key point. That's a key yeah. point. Yeah. yeah. And if you know that up front, now you can deal with it. Uh, it's fascinating, though, because most of the time, one of the things that people come up with is if one of us blows it, we'll deal with it right away. And then, you know, something will happen. And six months later, somebody will say, well, you know, this happened. You go, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> How do you define right away? <laughs> so even though we said it, sometimes we don't actually follow it. What else would you like to our listeners to to know about this and and center 
Well, of- you're the leader because you've been called on to do things. Leaders are there's three for me characteristics of a leader. Leader gets things done. Two, leader either knows how things get done or we figure it out. That's why we're leader. We solve problems, we create new things, we figure it out. Three, we influence people. So people follow you because you influence them, not because you tell them to. And and we never, as a leader, tell people what to do. We say, here's the result I want. And you ask them to raise the bar on their functioning. In in Boeing Systems, we over-function. That's where we create problems, too. We over-function. We do things for people thinking we're being helpful, but it's not. They resent us. We don't tell people how to do things or do these steps. We say, here's the result, and we've hired a competent person. We don't micromanage them. We mentor them. So dealing with conflict is important, and I used to shy away from it. And so things aren't going to go well, like you said. Things are going to be bumps in the road. It's life. We just learn to manage it and move toward the conflict, staying calm, and asking how we – I didn't. I, we, these expectations are different than we defined. How do we solve it? Notice I never used you, which puts the person on the defense. So we are in it. We're the leader. The buck stops here. But engaging people in the creation of it and the solving of it, and it's called a renegotiation clause. We're going to have to renegotiate. So the leader takes the step. And, and Rod, I'm surprised at how many power leaders even do not want to approach the situation because they don't want to hurt people's feelings. Well, there's a problem. And the longer you put it off, it's going to go from minor to nuclear. And we just need to bite the bullet and say, okay, let's talk about this and how can we put together a plan and not make it adversarial. We're afraid of confronting people, but realize the word confront means with your front. It's not a negative thing. It's coming forward. So having the structure, working it with the team, reviewing it with the team, developing your guiding principles together, and then having conversations about how things happen. Not just the results. And then do not forget the attaboy affirmations, because that means so much to people. So those are those are just kind of the, the shortcomings. I, I see a lot of things with leaders and the faults are universal. I don't care if you're leading a multinational corporation or you're doing a local charity startup. Some of the problems are the same. Steve Jobs used to say, um, we don't hire people and tell them what to do. We hire good people. We train them and then they help us figure out what to do. Yeah. And, and so it's it's really the power of listening and and collaborating. And that's such a reverse paradigm from what we think leadership ought to be. We don't have all the right answers. We got good questions. And it's important for the people that work with us to have the right answers, not us. Right. And in a lot of ways, this, this goes along with some of the stuff that you see in Good to Great and some of these the, the level five leaders who, you know, What's what's the the saying about uh, you can get anything done as long as you don't care who's going to get the the recognition for it? Yeah. I mean that's that's a huge part of this, and especially when you can give the recognition to the person who actually came up with it. That's that attaboy you were talking about. So many times you see in in businesses or in families, you see good things happening, and you see whoever the like the patriarch taking a taking credit for it when that wasn't them. <laughs> and I, I've, I've been just amazed to watch kids who have very, very, very successful parents. And they kind of feel like they can never get there, right? Because they're comparing themselves to their parents today, not them. And when the parents are working with them and the parent can honestly say, 
you know, you're ahead of where I was at your age. Totally changes the dynamic. Nobody likes a leader that's right all the time. Right. You know, you want them to be right. So that's exactly right. You know, I've I've helped people be right and they go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they may not even realize that I helped them get there. It doesn't, <laughs> doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Yeah. So we bring value to lots of people and we don't even know it sometimes. Right. And maybe they don't know it until later. So we're about giving value and making things happen. And that's a great joy. I would rather be in the trenches doing things you know, enabling people and guiding people than I would just not doing anything. It's so important to make a difference in the world. So I think always work on your skills, always have a coach and always be accountable somewhere because it's a joy. So leaders are also readers. Take your marker, highlighter, mark things, and then don't feel like you read the book one time and that's it. When you pick it up sometime later, get a different color highlighter. I guarantee you that you'll highlight different things because you're ready to learn the next thing that maybe you didn't notice last time. So reviewing things and going back, and and I have this podcast, 31 Days to Becoming a Better Leader. I originally thought I created for startups, but there are people in the trenches saying, you know, there's things about leadership I didn't know from that. So you can find that anywhere. It's a free podcast. You can find anywhere, 31 Days to Becoming a Better Leader. Five minutes a day, you can up your game. And, you know, we were talking about that with our training. It's amazing how many people come through the training. We'll give them, you know, seven points. They'll get like three. And then they'll come back six months later and we'll see the training again. And they'll get the, to the fourth point. I've never heard that before. And we're like, go back to your notes. But, but we don't see things we don't need at that time. A lot of, you know, we're we get focused in on the things that we need right then. And then when we're ready for more things, we see more things. Sometimes it's like spouses don't really hear each other the same way until you have a counselor, then you hear each other differently. When I when I was director of mega churches, I brought in the best conductors in the world to work with my choir and do a concert with the orchestra. And those those famous conductors would say things to my choir and they go, Oh, really? <laughs> and things I had said before. Right. But it didn't matter. And, and they they come back next week and say, you know what? I bet you told us those things, didn't you? We just didn't hear it. So it's important. People bring in people like you and me to work with a culture. Strong leaders aren't afraid of bringing in a competent person because others will learn from us things that that leader just wasn't able to convey. And it doesn't matter. So a really strong, self-confident leader brings in other other competent people to work with their team. So that's that's a leadership skill, not a weakness. Well, and that goes into the families too. I mean, my, my brother and I figured this out long ago. If if I said something to my kids, it was okay. My brother said it to the kids and they'd listen, right? The same thing with coaching. You know, I, I coached with a guy and he was he was telling his son something and he just ignored it. And then I said, hey, what if you do this? Oh, wow, it was brilliant. And so a lot of times, you know, when they're hearing you all the time, there's only so much that they hear. They hear the, like you said, they hear the exact same thing from somebody else. They get it. And then later, you're right. They come back later and go, you know, I, I bet you did say that. <laughs> well, it's, it's a lot letting go of our ego, but keep your mind and your, your spirit and your team focused on the outcomes that, you know, you've got goals. They're written in present tense. This is the future and they're smart. They're very specific. You know, when you've got there 
because they're measurable. And the A in my model is accountable. If you share them with people, there's that accountability. That's what makes it work. And then achievable, realistic, I thought was pretty much the same. So realistic, you have the budget, you have the staff, you have the time, you have whatever resources to make it happen. And then time, when is it going to happen? We're, if we're fuzzy on any one of those, it isn't going to happen. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much. Now, how do people get a hold of you uh, if they want to learn more about you? I think we put the uh, website up on the uh, where they clicked onto the podcast, but why don't you give us some information on how they can get a hold of you? The podcast, certainly, but hubaloo.com is my, my business website, H-U-G-H-B-A-L-L-O-U.com. Um, betterleader.me is the podcast I talked about, betterleader.me. And our show is The Nonprofit Exchange, the one that you were gracious enough to be my guest, the nonprofitexchange.org. You can find these on The Better Leader, 31 Days Better Leader, and The Nonprofit Exchange. Anywhere that you get podcasts, you can find those. And of course, hubaloo.com. You can go hugh at hubaloo.com and email me. Okay, cool. And, and yeah, it's really true that all this stuff all fits together. And, you know, the more you get, the, the things that you're teaching to nonprofits work equally well in families and work equally well with for-profits. So leadership is leadership and the principles are interchangeable. doesn't matter where you are. And my parting shot is what have you done to your listener? What have you done today to help yourself become a better leader tomorrow? All right. That's a great way to end it. Thank you very much. <laughs>